0: Welcome, market participants, to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. The debt ceiling drama has taken over the market's news cycle as we knew it would. Debt ceiling is adult swim. Let's hope there are enough grown-ups in Washington to get this done. All right, this week, our three things are... One, macro implications of commercial real estate risk perspective here is important. Two, retailing results. Useful insight into the strength of the U.S. consumer this past week. And three, demand for credit interference. Out for comment is a proposal from the NAIC that you should care about. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. The risk of commercial real estate on the broader economy. We spoke a couple of weeks ago about how we believe the popular characterization of small and regional bank exposure to commercial real estate is over, if not wrongly stated. Mistaken views include quoting bank CRE lending as if banks are the only lenders in the market. They're obviously not. Banks hold just 39% of commercial mortgages. So when you hear that smaller banks are the most important lenders on investor real estate, they're not. They're important but the overall market for CRE capital is well diversified. Here's another mischaracterization. All bank exposure is not the same. Bank exposure typically includes owner-occupied properties which happen to have property as collateral as a second way home. The risk of these loans is that of lower risk, commercial and industrial lending and should be viewed differently. Here's another mischaracterization. All CRE risk is not the same. Yes, office property, especially CBD offices, are facing a secular threat from work from home. Most other property types, warehouses, industrial, strip centers, are not facing similar risk. And suburban office is facing less of a threat than CBD office. We could go on. We are focusing again on CRE risk because we saw this week that in the B of A Global Fund Manager survey, CRE risk is cited as far and away the most likely source of a credit event cited by roughly half of respondents, double that of the next source, shadow banking. If we assume that credit crunch could happen as a result of banks and markets seizing up because of CRE refinancing risk, then I guess you could cite that as a source of concern. But here's another grounding factoid. According to the Fed, commercial mortgages amount to about 15% of GDP. Compare that to single family homes, which were close to 80%, eight zero of GDP, heading into the GFC. No matter how you slice it, CRE risk to the aggregate banking system and to the macroeconomy is not that meaningful. Now, is the risk to particular banks? For sure. Credit is a name-by-name asset class. But overall, for the majority of banks, it just isn't that big a deal. And for particular cities, especially those with long commutes and safety challenges, the impact of the secular change is meaningful. But to the broader economy... It's manageable. All right, on to our second thing, retailing's tea leaves. We spent quite a bit of time talking about the consumer and just how much spending juice is left in what is the bedrock upon which our economy sits. Retail sales out this week continue to limp along, but with a gravitational pull lower. The monthly year-over-year headline figures have fallen from plus 10% last summer to plus 1.6% in April, which, by the way, was the lowest level since May of 2020. The month-on-month data did show a modest pickup after two months of contraction, but this is all noise around an undeniable trend back towards stall speed. And that's on a nominal basis. The slowdown theme is evident in Q1 earnings reports out of Home Depot, Target, and Walmart. Home Depot narrowly beat its estimate, but saw its year-over-year pre-tax earnings fall 8%. But what was noteworthy was both its current color and guidance. The CEO noted that the company saw more pressure across its business than what it saw just three months ago. The company now expects full-year earnings to fall between seven and thirteen percent from previous guidance, which was down mid-single digits, on a sales drop of two to five percent. Previously, that was expected to be flat. Operating margin is expected to come in between fourteen and fourteen point three percent, versus previous guidance of fourteen and a half percent. The takeaway here. Nothing rises to the level of a changing view on the credit itself. The CFO reminded folks that the company grew sales almost 43% over the past three years, and we knew that 2023 was going to be a year of moderation as we digested those gains. That's useful context when thinking about a lot of things, be it at the micro or macro level. Digging deeper, it's also worth thinking about the broader based applicability of this statement from the company. What we're seeing now is a more broad-based pullback on the part of the consumer with respect to discretionary spend. This is at least an indirect result of tighter monetary policy and tighter borrowing conditions. Again, not unexpected, this is something we've heard broadly, but a useful reminder of what's at play. Target, which had been battling operational issues over the past year, reported a nice beat on a 5% downdraft year-over-year in its pre-tax earnings. Putting this in more useful context, management regarded the current level of profitability still as well below its long-term potential. The company maintained its earnings outlook but noted softening sales trends. Management struck a number of somber notes during its call, ranging from the very material risk of theft, estimated to be $500 million this year, and violence in its stores to the difficult trade-off decisions American consumers are having to make as we continue to face elevated macro uncertainty and volatility as the world continues its transition towards a new normal. From a macro perspective, inflation remains high and stubbornly persistent. Walmart, with its value-based strategy and significant grocery operations, is shaping up to be a net beneficiary of a downturn. But it, too, talks about the toll inflation is taking on its customers and management wonders whether it has the appropriate amount of conservatism in its guidance given the external environment. We see all of this as evidence of an environment of somewhat limited visibility, but one where there is little evidence of more severe downside scenarios. As we have often said, this downturn has been as well telegraphed as any in history. It's given company managements and consumers a lot of time to prepare, and that will ultimately limit the downside to credit. All right, on to our third thing, demand interference. We talked last week about the positive effect on insurance company demand for credit that should come from S&P's walking back of its proposed adjustments to their insurance company methodology. S&P had proposed punitive capital treatment to insurance companies on securities they owned that were not rated by S&P. Their new proposal, eliminating that punitive treatment, is out for comment. Along similar lines, market participants should be aware of a proposal by the National Association of Insurance Commissioners' Securities Valuation Office, yep, you know it as the NAIC's SVO, that would give the SVO discretion to overturn credit rating agencies' ratings on all filing exempt securities where the SVO's determination is three or more notches different than that of the rating agencies. Those determinations, of course, decide how much capital an insurance company holds against a particular investment. Once again, this could concentrate power in the hands of one party, the ability to influence U.S. insurance company demand not just for a particular security or issuer, but potentially for an entire asset class. History tells us that this is not conducive to positive evolution in the capital markets. This proposal would establish one entity as all-knowing, something that intuitively does not seem to serve insurance companies well as it could stifle capital markets' innovation and potentially impede market efficiency in certain asset classes. At this past week's meeting of the NAIC's Valuation of Securities Task Force, where the proposal was discussed, one interested party who described himself as a, quote, policyholder and insurance company investor, unquote, asked what benefits would come from the proposal and at what cost. He went on to question whether the SVO's judgment would be superior to the collective wisdom and resources of the insurance industry's investment departments and multiple credit rating agencies. We think those are relevant questions. The task force voted to expose for comment the proposal for 60 days. It will be addressed again at its summer national meeting in August. So there you have it three things in credit. One, commercial real estate risk to the broader economy we think is often overstated. Two, retailing results. Guidance tells us a softening is coming. And three, demand for credit interference. Out for comment is a proposal from the NAIC that you should care about. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our ratings reports and our latest research, including a piece I wrote this week on the credit implications of Hire for Longer. Have a look at it on our website and let me know what you think. With two graduations in the Hesser household this past week, we are celebrating with a trip abroad. We'll see you back again here in a couple of weeks. Hello, listeners. Join me, Van Hesser, KBRA's chief strategist for in-depth conversations with credit experts in my new monthly podcast, Leading Voices in Credit, where I'll interview market professionals on the latest trends in credit markets. That's Leading Voices in Credit with Van Hesser. Subscribe now.